Today's episode of the NFL Show is brought to you by State Farm. When you need a game plan for protection, State Farm agents are here to help. With personalized service, agents are available to talk in person, over text, or through the State Farm app. So go with the one with coverage and agents you can count on. Find an agent in your neighborhood today. State Farm. Talk to an agent today. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. How you doing, buddy? Robert, you know I'm obsessed with sort of the week-to-week whiplash in the NFL and just narratives that reverse themselves and things that were true one week and are not the, the next. We, we all have to be. I'm now obsessed with Stephen Cohen, who works at The Athletic, put a, a screen grab of, I guess, some, some chat they do uh, with, with Seahawks fans. And literally half of the fans are saying that Pete Carroll has to be fired right now or retire. The game has passed him by. A team that was five and one coming into this week, and and who's who's lost today. I feel in no way dings their Super Bowl hopes, and their MVP candidate is still an MVP candidate. But it's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Pete. It's time for you to go. So around midseason, I feel like we start to learn some stuff, right? Yep. And I think that this week was an example of that. Yeah. I feel like some of the teams that we felt pretty good about over even before the season and then over the last kind of month or so really did start to separate themselves a little bit. And that's what I want to start with today. And I think that the four teams we should throw out are green Bay, Minnesota, who you picked to win that division, by the way, Mm -hmm. the Ravens and the saints. I think they all had very impressive, decisive wins today. And when we're seven, eight weeks into the season, and you have wins like this, and we have such a backlog of information about these teams, I think you can read a little bit more into it. And that's kind of how I felt about pretty much every single one of those teams today. We talked about this topic before we saw the Eagles lay an egg on Sunday night. And I think it's, yes, important, we did. it's important, I think, to talk about the fact that you know when, when we start looking at week seven, week eight, at some point, you're just not a good team. And at some point, when we're talking about the teams that are separating themselves, we're talking about teams that are separating themselves from teams like the Eagles, okay? Yeah. Um, you know, something I talked a lot about last year with the Vikings was I kept looking for reasons that they were good. Even though they kept losing games they shouldn't, even though they weren't putting it together like I thought they were going to do, and some of the units disappointed me, certainly. I mean, really, all three phases of the ball disappointed me last year in Minnesota. But at some point, I have to stop looking for reasons you're good. And that's what I'm doing with the Eagles right now. I'm still looking for that glimmer of hope with the team that we picked to make the Super Bowl, right? I'm doing the same thing, um, yeah. And those teams that we're talking about, whether that's the Saints, whether that's the Packers, whether that's, oddly enough, the Vikings, um, these teams have have separated themselves in a way that I think is is quite notable. I mean, right now it's undeniable that they're, that, you know, obviously New England is up there. Obviously Kansas City is up there. But from Sunday's perspective, these are the teams where I'm circling and saying, okay, these guys are starting to pull away from the pack a little bit from their their specific pack. Uh, we're not saying these teams are going to the Super Bowl or anything or they're, or they're, they're vaunting in the conversation. What we are saying is there was a lot of mediocrity in the NFL three weeks ago, and these teams are not a part of that. I feel like we want everything all at once when it comes to the NFL. When a team has a new play caller, a new coordinator, a new scheme, we want to see it instantly hit. And it really does take time. I mean, think about the dialogue about Kirk Cousins three weeks ago after that game against the Bears. And then think about where it's at right now. I think it really does take a while 
to find your footing with a new offense, with a new approach, everything. And I think that the Vikings and the Packers are two really good examples of that. You know, they have managed to sustain for the most part through their defense and winning ugly and on the Vikings side, you know, running the ball a lot over the first five weeks of the year. And I think both of those teams now have found their footing offensively. And when you consider what they have on defense, the way they played defense, and now you throw in, okay, these quarterbacks seem comfortable. They seem like they know what they're doing in that yep. system. Now I think those teams are getting really scary. Yeah, so this is what we talked about when we found out the Packers defense is really good, really in week one, which was I was excited to see a team where the worst part of the team was the guy who is one of the best quarterbacks in the history of football, right? Yes. Like that's that's really good because that means eventually he's going to know what to do and things are going to get on track. We all saw this coming, or at least I saw this coming. I wrote it three weeks ago that the, the, the kind of the Rodgers breakout was coming. Once that happens, the Packers are going to be on fire. I felt that way, even though it was a lot you know, less popular of a stance. I felt that way about Kirk Cousins because I'm not saying Kirk Cousins is going to play like Aaron Rodgers. I'm not even saying that he was gonna, he's going to play forever like he did on Sunday. He was amazing on Sunday. But he is a competent quarterback. We know what Kirk Cousins is. And so long as he plays like Kirk Cousins has in the past, I know it's not Rodgers-esque. He's not Patrick Mahomes. No one's going to confuse him for that. He's not Russell Wilson. But if he plays like Kirk Cousins, if he's the best Kirk Cousins he can be, that team can win a lot of games. So I I was a prisoner of the moment with the Vikings. I, I am more than willing to admit it. I was discouraged. Like watching that team and watching that offense, I was like, maybe he's just not the guy. And again, I, I think that I just didn't give enough credence to how long this stuff takes and yep. how a month of games is not indicative of what's going to happen over the entire season. And I was so impressed with them today. And it, it's... So you, I watched them last week, and you know, I, I feel like the Eagles' secondary is so bad, and their defense has been so bad that it becomes hard to gauge what a guy looks like against them. Yeah. So I watched Kirk Cousins last week, and I was like, oh, well, you know, they they seemed like that worked well, but is this sustainable? And watching him today, they have a plan. They know what they are offensively, and it's working. And it it took a little while, and I. Gave up on it before I should have, but right now they are 100% locked in. I mean, they are a very, very scary team with an offensive identity when you consider what they still have on defense. So I actually think I'm of two minds of that because I think that Kirk Cousins, I think this can be real. I think that his, his talent can be real, but I also think the Eagles game last week is kind of an outlier because the Eagles defense stinks right now, man. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that, no, no, no. no. I, I, I'm saying that both things can be true is that you might have to throw at this point. So Warren Sharp tweeted this out. The the, uh, the Eagles are the only team that have given up 20-plus points in the first half in five games. So watching him do that against them, I, again, it's hard to gauge. But yep. the Lions' defense has been pretty good this yep. year. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, this, that, this is a, a real performance today. It absolutely is. And I just love... So before the season started... I don't want to get too far down the, the Vikings rabbit hole here, but watching them today, I really liked the plan they had coming into the year. The, this Kubiak play action system that they, that they were trying to implement. My concern was that they'd go a little bit too far in the wrong direction, that it would be so run heavy that they wouldn't mm. be 
efficiency just wouldn't be on the table for that. And then watching them today and seeing these first down play action shot plays, doing it on second and eight, things like that. They have found the balance that is a system I like with the proportions that you should run if you want to have an efficient scheme. And I was concerned about that coming in. And I think for the first few weeks, they didn't show us that they could do that. But I think they found it. And it's the perfect offense for him. They have two great receivers and the running game works. So when you combine all of those things with the defense, I they're in the conversation for me right now in the NFC. I don't see any reason no, why they firmly, shouldn't be. Firmly. That passed to Theo in the back of the end zone. I, I two thoughts. Number one, that was a dime. Number two, a little close on that wall there in Detroit for the Lions. So I was thinking the same thing. Is that just is is was that just bad luck or do they have an unusually close wall back there? So that w- it was an odd thing because he like rolled a couple times. Yeah, it, it, it was just an awkward moment in general. But th- so the the throw though, and it's funny that you say that because I thought this maybe three or four times while watching that game today. He throws like one of the prettiest balls in football. Yep, and it and we I completely- he, uh, unfortunately through his career like doesn't hasn't done that enough. So that's the thing is that I completely understand the questions about him and the hesitations about him and the, and and people like really being upset, like the Vikings fan base over the first couple Mm of weeks. I I get it. He is maddening, but when he is on, it looks as good as anything. And I think that that today was an example of that, but when he is feeling it, he is one of the most like aesthetically pleasing quarterbacks in the NFL. And I think that's why his lows are so frustrating. But it's also the reason that they were one, in my in my opinion, one of the 16 teams that could have won the Super Bowl. So by definitions, in my opinion, you, you could win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins if everything else breaks right. He's one of those guys. He can play really, really well. I could even see him kind of playing a Nick Foles role and just one day putting up 50 points in the Super Bowl just out of his mind. He's not a consistent uh, quarterback. Again, he's not going to be Patrick Mahomes, not going to be Russell Wilson, any of these guys. But on, you know... Every once a month, he has the capability to look like those guys. And I think the thing is managing the lows and kind of getting to those high points and putting him in a position to have more consistent days when he's not just absolutely on fire. I totally agree. I mean, he is very capable of getting hot. And when you consider the roster talent overall that they have, him getting hot for a month makes them a dangerous proposition yep. in, in, the, in the NFC playoff picture. So speaking of that, Aaron Rodgers threw five touchdown passes today. He did. It so I had I was I was in Green Bay last week, two weeks ago, and I had a really interesting conversation with David Bakhtiari. And we were just talking kind of casually. And we were discussing kind of a previous conversation he and I had had about him getting used to their new scheme and settling into it and everything else, because he, they had done the same thing for 15 years there, and they were very comfortable with it. And I think everyone on that offense had to drastically alter their expectations, what they're doing, yeah. everything. And I think it's, it took a while for them to really settle into it. And their defense carried them as they did that. And now I think they do feel comfortable. And it was about weathering the storm when it was rough at the beginning. And now that that's over, I mean, what can they do? Are they the best team in the NFC? I don't think that's unreasonable to say. 
Nope. I don't think it's unreasonable at all. Um, I think that there's kind of, okay, listen, the Niners are really freaking good. The Saints are really good. The Packers are right up there. I think the Vikings are probably cut below that. I would say I would put those three teams, the, the San Francisco, New Orleans, and Green Bay at the top right now. Having said that, like you said, that's the only team, you know, Drew Brees has not been around in New Orleans. So let's put them aside for a second because we don't know what they're going to look like. Drew Brees, by the way, uh, told my triple to the ESPN that he might practice this week, hopes to play against Arizona next week. I don't know what that's going to look like. So let's put them aside for a second. I think that, you know, San Francisco has Jimmy Garoppolo coming back, but it's still from an injury, but it's still kind of, you know, same coaching staff, kind of same system, whatever. What we're talking about, we've talked about this for two months. New play callers, new systems, new all of this. They will start slow because of how training camp operates now, because it's not like it was 15 years ago. You will, by definition, usually have a slow start when you're changing everything. So they bring back Mike Pettin. The defense is ahead of the offense. That just makes sense. If this is clicking now, and this is the, the team that the Green Bay Packers are going to be. Remember, the Raiders are not the Raiders of last year. The Raiders are a decent football team. If this was the team that we're going to see for the next 10 weeks, then you have to put them above the other two teams. However, we just haven't seen the sample size. I'm not ready to call the NFC, and I still think the Niners and the, and, and the Saints are really, really good. So it just comes down to how sustainable what we saw on Sunday is from the Packers. I think that's the question, and and I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's probably pretty sustainable. And it's okay. it's what you wrote about, but it's also like I don't know. It, it's so interesting to me because I think it was about the other aspects of the team being able to carry them as they figured it out. And now that it seems like they figured it out a little bit, you allow Aaron Rodgers to be Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So it, it's I think that right now. I give them the benefit of the doubt just because of how terrified I am of him all the time. But I also think that we really have to acknowledge what the Saints have done. It's amazing. And Teddy Bridgewater. I, it's amazing. It's I think, you know, I saw people talking about this today, but I mean, it really should be the story of the season when you just consider what Teddy Bridgewater has come back for. I, I mean, there were people yeah. who thought who, who were on that field in Minnesota who were like, Man, that that that's the type of injury where you know someone doesn't play again, and if he does, he's a changed guy. And you know, I've talked in the past about players who have leg injuries or knee injuries, and 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 they've talked to me about this, but just sort of the mental rehab, I guess you could call it, is just learning to trust yourself. And and the idea that that Teddy Bridgewater has really, I mean, he got traded last year for a second round pick. This is really his first full action, and it looks like he he was never hurt. Obviously, the game plan is a little more conservative, um, but what what Sean Payton has done, um, and truly what Teddy Bridgewater has done with his opportunity, has been incredible. And you know, I, I think that when Drew Brees retires, the Saints know what they have, and I think it's a very exciting proposition. And I also think that the Saints know what they have this year, which is a team that can win a Super Bowl. Watching what's happened to the Bears, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. You know, you make yes. We bold. will talk about the Bears later. <laughs> you you make bold choices, and sometimes it doesn't work out. And I think that there are teams that have made bold choices and really paid for it. You know, you trade away a future first round pick, or you do this and this with the cap, and you really do try to maximize your moments in the short term, and it may hurt you later. And I think that that's why the Saints. Everything about them right now is so impressive because the degree of difficulty to pull off what they're pulling off yep. when you consider 
how many risky choices they've made is amazing. And watching these other teams that have done this, like mine, and watching it come back to bite them, and then you think about what the Saints have done, and they've made much riskier choices, and they've all worked out. It's really remarkable. Like I just cannot even comprehend the needle that they've threaded when it comes to building this team the way that they have, and when it comes to making themselves such a force without Breeze and for the rest of the season. It is so, so ridiculous. And, you know, what's amazing to me is how much more comfortable he's gotten in the offense just in a matter of three weeks. Um, you know, I'm looking at his passing charts right now. He's taking downfield shots. Um, you know, just I, I think that I saw a stat when he first got in that they were running one of the most conservative offenses, um, not only in the NFL, but in the last couple of years in the NFL. Um, and obviously, he's worked his way in where he can basically make any throw now. And it's so, so cool to see. Um, I just... He's he's a starting quarterback in the NFL, and I think that if if any time before eighteen months ago anybody said that you you think they were going to be crazy just because of how crazy that injury was. And again, it's it's not only the story of the season; it's one of the stories maybe of the decade. And so and there were games. I, I think early on they really were conservative with him. Yep. And I mean his average like intended air yards was like three. Yep. Like for his first two games, and I think that there that was cause for for concern, like one hundred percent. But what's been so impressive to me is that they can be different things every week yep. based on what they need to be. And I think that is the mark of a really good team. It's the mark of a versatile team, and it's the mark of a deep team. That is what the Saints have shown me, is that they're just so – the roster talent and the coaching is are so good that they can just be everything they need to be on a weekly basis. And I think that's how you sustain, especially without the best player on your team. You know, I remember it's it's blown me away. I remember people saying that it was going to take a little bit. And this is kind of predicted because the offense the Saints were running was so tailored around Drew Brees Mm -hmm. that they kind of really I mean, I think the conservative nature of it. Yes, it was kind of easing him in. He had obviously not seen this much action in a number of years, but it was also just they're trying to figure out what an offense without Drew Brees looks like. Um, because it had been what four years since another player had started uh, that kind of a weird, I think September October game where one of the McCowns started. So I just also think this is part of partly just Sean Payton getting up to speed. And I think the ability for coach and quarterback to work together like this and and look like I mean, look if Drew Brees wasn't coming back this year, we would still be talking about the Saints as an you know an NFC contender. I mean, I think I that's, a, you, that's, that's the insane. biggest that's the biggest testament to what Bridgewater has done so far is that if if Brees had torn his ACL, we'd still be having the same conversation without the fact that Drew Brees is coming back perhaps next week. Who do you think has done the most impressive coaching job in the NFL this year? The Sean Payton, coach of the year for right now. I think it's between him and Reich. Oh yeah. It, it's a, it's a conversation to me. I I, I think Sean Payton. Is it, honestly, answer. it depends. I think they're two different teams. I think the Saints are looking at you know a number one seed type season, and the yeah, Colts are right. looking at a you know AFC South champion type season um, where you you know you win ten or eleven games. I just think they're they're on different planes of competition, and so it'll just be who sort of maxes out their their wins there. I, I just uh, yeah, I, I I think you're right. I mean, I think the Saints probably because of that reason are. He he's in the driver's seat, but I, I just think what both of them have done in a league where things like not nearly as drastic 
as what has happened to the Saints and Colts happen to teams. And yep. it allows, like, it, it derails their seasons. To watch what both of them have done, I just, I'm jealous. Like, I, I yep. mean, that, that's kind of what I'm sitting here doing. It's like, they are so, so good. And they have tapped into something that is so hard to tap into. It's just, I'm in awe of it, like, weekly. I said it last week. If you have a bad coach, you, you should be pointing out that the Indianapolis Colts did this. And this, it's a, every coach says no excuses and then makes excuses. And the Colts have made no excuses. And the Saints are the same way. I mean, you, you lose a Hall of Fame quarterback and you just keep on rolling. I mean, it, it's, I, I've been floored. I mean, by both it of them. reminds me, it reminds me a little bit of a couple of years ago, the owner's meetings, the year after Derek Carr broke his leg, Jack Del Rio was asked, what did you learn about football last year you know with that that great Raiders team that ended up I remember this. you know and he said uh, I learned to not lose your quarterback and then a year later the Eagles lost their quarterback and they won the Super Bowl and put up more points than any team in the history of the Super Bowl so there you go you can lose your quarterback you just have to have a good coaching staff all right let's get to stock up stock down uh what do you want to start with uh, well, I think that we already talked, we, we will get to the quarterbacks and sort of their, their MVP situations here. I think we need to talk with the Dallas Cowboys. We, I, already, we already dunked on the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm done with them. I'm, I, I'm, 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 when do we get to pick new Super Bowl teams? Mid season? I think so. I, I can't mean, wait for that. This is the most wrong I've been about that in a very long time. I can't wait for the Eagles to stop being my Super Bowl prediction. And look, I mean, this is something that we, this is something that we kind of saw coming. You, know, you, we, you talk about the depth in the roster and some of the special guys, the reason you win a Super Bowl, someone like Malik Jackson, all of a sudden Malik Jackson's out for the season is on IR. A couple of those things are on the edges. Like I thought that maybe they weren't the most talented roster in the NFL anymore, but I didn't expect this. Yeah. I, I think that's that's how I'm feeling too. I mean, the margins get worse and worse as you get more hurt. But watching them just come out and lack energy the last couple of weeks has been surprising to me because I think both of you and I spent a lot of time around that Eagles team when they won the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and it was a special locker room. And it was there was something and, and, co- and coaching staff that we now yes. know was you know really really down to because they had Frank Reich, and they it was a special group on I think every single level and to watch them come out and just lack I don't know what the right word is but, but just something just it, it's an energy it, it, it's some sort of fortitude it just this team feels much different and I just did not expect that coming into the year even if. Even as they got a little bit banged up, I never thought this version of this roster was in play. Yeah, I don't think it's a vibe thing. I think it's a talent thing. I mean, I just think they don't have any defensive backs who can stay with anybody right now. Yeah, that's fair. I I, I think that's you're probably right, but I still well, listen. Think I'm that- I'm always ready to call in the body language doctor. It's a ringer special, but I I just I don't think it's a I don't think it's a vibe thing at all. But maybe it's you know. not. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I mean, they so many guys are hurt, but they're like, think about the Colts again. Yeah. How many no, defensive backs you. are hurt in the Colts? I'm oh, I'm with you. I also think I have not seen now we were joking about how Robert Sala looks like like they're just running the same footage on a loop. Carson yes. Wentz, Carson Wentz coming off the field 
slightly limping and looking like he just took the, a shot that would kill any of us. Like that seems to be the exact same footage just looped over and over and over again. I just, I, I have not seen Carson Wentz jog to the sideline looking 100% healthy in a very long time. And, and that's the biggest thing. I mean, no matter what's happening with them injury-wise elsewhere, yep. if he's banged up and if anything wrong with him, torpedoes their chances. All right, so Dallas. We, I, I, I could complain about the Eagles' next 30 minutes. We got to get to Dallas. Um, so, so what do you... So, like, uh, that's what I wanted to ask you. So, th- this Cowboys performance, are you tacking it up to what we've seen from the Eagles the last couple weeks as a defense? Or do you think that this team... Was I? Th- this is what I think. I think they were primed for a bounce back game. I think that offense can be really good. I oh, said the Cowboys. No, the Cowboys. Me. Yeah, yeah. That's no, I what, what I. That, that's how I'm reading this. Well, listen. They lost to the Jets last week, and one of the most uninspiring performances I've ever seen in my entire yes, life. Yes, they did. So let's not. We're, I'm not here to crown the Cowboys, but I am here to say there was some encouragement here. They had some nice passes past some play action, which is what we wanted to see. Um, yeah, I'm sure you're you're happy about that. Like the play calling, I, I, I love it. Amari Cooper uh, looks like Amari Cooper again. And I think that that was, you know, coming off of the injury last week. And I think that there was a lot of concern about that after the Jets game. But I think that, like, this is a team, they're almost like, I mean, they are one of the boom and bust teams of the NFL. Um, they can play as well as anybody. And sometimes they can lose to the damn Jets. And that's, it's, it's important to sort of figure out it's almost they're, they're sort of the Kirk cousins of teams right now, right? Like they, we just have to manage the lows and we can get there. That's same with Kirk cousins. That's what I'd just be saying. If I was Mike Zimmer right now, manage the lows and we can get there. And so I just think that, um, you know, I just, it, it, more consistent games is what I want to see from them. They don't need to you know beat the Eagles by, by what? 24 points, 27 points every single time. Um, I will say, I thought Barnwell had a funny tweet today um, where he's talking about how just, I don't think there's ever been a decision that has been panned more and turned it turned and the punditry looked worse than the Amari Cooper panning. Like I think that was everybody on the planet thought the Raiders won that trade. Yeah. And it's and amazing. I, I, it's amazing to see how important he's been to that offense. I think it speaks to situation. I think it it, it yeah. speaks to how important it is to be in the right spot in the NFL. And you know, we we have opinions of players and we make judgments on players and we think we know what they are. And then they walk into a different spot and they completely transform. And I think that's what we're talking about here. I mean, it's when you step into a spot that is drastically better, I think you can be a a completely different version of who you used to be. And I think that's what we've seen from him. And it's, I, I don't know. I feel like as we talk about the league, and you and I do this twice a week and it's really tempting to fall prey to the weekly kind of machinations of the league. And I think the thing I've learned the most this year and even over the last five years doing this is that we should never make judgments until like three years with teams, with players, with everything. And I am guilty. I am as guilty as anybody. But I, I'm trying to be better about that, and I think that he's a really good example. Yeah, I mean, listen, that's true of everything. I mean, unfortunately, as you know, I was joking in the last podcast about the Herschel Walker trade and how universally it was praised yeah. on the Viking side. And unfortunately, this is not – we don't get the benefit of hindsight, so we sort of just have to analyze these things. And a lot of – listen, a lot of times your first instinct is right. I mean, 
I've talked about it before how how much I was just destroyed for my Carson Wentz praise early on. <laughs> and the Rams were mad at me. Do you remember that when some of the Rams guys were mad at me for that? Um, because I was making fun of them for taking I was making fun of them for passing on on Wentz, Jeff Goff. Uh anyway, let's not get into that too long. Um, but the uh the it, I just think that you just sort of have to guess on these things um, with all the evidence you have. And I think that in the, in the instance of the Mario Cooper trade, it looked like he was not performing at a level worth a first round pick. I think very few receivers are worth a first round pick. And I was wrong. Amari Cooper is one of the receivers who are worth a first round pick relative to what he's done for that offense. And we can debate a million times whether or not saving Jason Garrett's job was a noble cause, but he did. And I think that he's, he's a really freaking talented player. And I was glad that on slow news day, I got to tell him that I'm an idiot. All right, let's get to our next one here. I feel like both Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers thrust themselves into the MVP conversation today. Do you think that's fair? Yes. Depending on how, how you just the conversation, how you like, view it's, the conversation. They, they warrant mention. Right. Um, yes, they are on. They are probably both in the top five at this point, wouldn't you say? I would say Wilson won. I, I don't know what's going on with Mahomes. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's a murky situation. I I, I think that Wilson is definitely one. I think Watson coming in today was. Yeah, I would say I was going to have Watson three, maybe. Maybe I that's, that's before fair. this. I no, I I don't know. I mean, if if Rogers and Jackson listen. If Lamar Jackson wins 12 games and plays like he played, he is firmly, I mean, he's just a cut below Wilson. I mean, again, it's all kind of foolish to just project whatever they, everybody's going to look like. Maybe, yeah. maybe, you know, maybe Aaron Rodgers plays like this for the rest of the season and we don't have to worry about the whole thing and he wins unanimously. I don't know what's going to happen. What I am saying is that this is a narrative award. Those guys make sense. I mean, Lamar Jackson is awesome. I mean, Bobby Wagner was talking about, I guess I saw some quotes after the game where he was talking about just how smart of a runner he was in the sense that, you know, he, he was great at running when the Seahawks were on man coverage and had their back to uh, back to the offense. And, and Bobby Wagner was praising that. And I just think that this is just going to keep happening. Like, he's a really smart player. He is a really, I mean, he obviously has the passing skills, which we've seen, but just him as a runner, fourth and two, that was an amazing play. He wants to stay out there. John Harbaugh, kudos to him for just having the guts to go for it on fourth down. But he's also like Lamar Jackson, aside from being a really good passer and a really good quarterback and a really smart player, he might be the hardest player to tackle in football right now. So I I, I, I know how this is going to sound, and I don't mean it to sound like this. And I, I'm not trying to make Lamar Jackson not a quarterback because he's been a good quarterback this year. But... Is Lamar Jackson the best running back in the NFL? <laughs> uh, hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's really hard to say because you, you have to imagine, you know, he only runs when he wants to run. It's situational. But that's not necessarily true. They have a lot of design runs for him. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying, but it's, I, I, I don't, I think that's a really hard. I'm not trying to, I, I am not trying to take anything away from his ability to play quarterback. That's not what I'm trying to do. Are you so? Let me ask you a question. If you put him in Minnesota with Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook spot, does he have more or less yards than Dalvin Cook? So I think the answer is less because yeah. he's not I, I, built I like think, that. I think that he's. I think that's it. It's. I don't think he would be. I think he's. You know what he Here, is? He's. He's a great quarterback. Here's what I'm asking: Is he the most 
effective, dangerous runner in the NFL at any position right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that there you, you I think that right now there's like three guys in the NFL that you'd rather uh that you'd want to see less than Lamar Jackson right now. Like I and maybe maybe it's maybe it's just one. Maybe it's I, I don't know. I mean, he just beat Russell Wilson, so I don't know. I mean, I think you you would rather see Lamar Jackson than a healthy Patrick Mahomes. But like right now, if I'm game planning for somebody, I don't want to game plan against Lamar Jackson. I'm with you, like a hundred percent. And I, I just think that what he is giving them as a runner, it's unlike anything we've seen recently in the NFL. He was nine of twenty today. And they won yeah. 30 to 16. I mean, I understand there was a defensive touchdown yards. and everything else. 116 it, rush yards, rush touchdown. What he is giving them is... I, I don't know what to compare it to. I mean, like we've seen... Like, you know, There was a time when Cam was running a decent amount, everything else. But this is new. And it's kind of hard to wrap my mind around. Because we, we haven't a vision and we have a, like an understanding of what efficient offense in the NFL looks like. And the Ravens are kind of turning that on their, on its head. And it's hard for me to grasp right now because they're doing it well enough to win. But I, I don't know if they can keep doing it. If that makes sense, because it's so different from what we're used to. Yeah. I think they can keep doing it, dude. I think they can too. They just it's went just, into Seattle and and pretty easily. I'm mean, not easily. It was a hard fought game, but I think that they they comfortably won that game. It is it is just so different. And, and again, it's just the, I, I've had a hard time kind of filtering it through my understanding of how football works right now. It, it's a very disconcerting kind of off putting thing because it's just so different. I, I, but I they really do. I mean, like I, I actually disagree with that. I think that. They are what we should celebrate, which is a team that figured out what they had, made a plan around, and built a franchise around it. Like they're not going to have the efficiency numbers of they're not going to have him drop back fifty times a game. He's not, not going to turn him to Philip Rivers, not going to turn him to Joe Flacco, whatever. He's going to be the best Lamar Jackson in the history of football. And there's, I, I just, I think that it's a celebration. They are celebrating what they have instead of of. Uh, trying to turn him into something he's not. And I think there's a real lesson to be learned in that. I think that they understood, you know, you, you uh, promote Greg Roman, who obviously has exper- experience running um, this sort of sort of run-heavy offense and, and sort of coming up with great schemes. He's the offensive coordinator. John Harbaugh is clearly aggressive. He went for it on fourth down when Lamar wanted to. I just think they, they, they drafted in a, in a kind of a different way. Um, they went all in on him in a very different way, which is that they built – a, a really unique offense around him and they celebrated him. And I think there's a lot of coaches who get a quarterback and say, I'm going to make this quarterback a version that I want to see him as. And the Ravens looked at Lamar Jackson and said, we're just going to maximize what we have and enjoy what we have. And I think that there's, there are probably about 25 coaches who should be looking at the Ravens and not trying to run the Ravens offense, but trying to do what the Ravens did from a spiritual standpoint, which is say, we like our guy. How do we help him? I, I, I agree with everything you just said. And I, I wasn't trying to say, I, I, I believe that. And I, what they've done is amazing. It's just so unique that it, it's kind of hard to understand when you think about yeah. the rest of the league. I I, I, the plan is beautiful and, and it has worked as well as they, it, it possibly could have. 
But again, it's just so different from our value systems as we think about the sport right now when it comes to offensive aesthetics that when I watch it and I watch it succeed, it's it there's a leap. There, there is a slight step I have to take to buy into it. And I have, but and I think that's the beauty of it is they knew they needed to be that different and they went completely in that direction. And when it's been I was great. Doing, when I was doing the Matthew Stafford story, I talked to uh, Dan Orlovsky, who obviously backed up Stafford, who's in Detroit with him. And he talked a little bit about how there were some, uh, Jim Caldwell was one of them, coaches who were brought in to make Matthew Stafford less of a gunslinger. And what ended up happening was that he lost a little bit, this is what Orlovsky thinks, he lost a little bit of that sort of I can do anything mentality, which in some cases is unhealthy uh, when you start talking about turnovers or whatever. But on the on the balance there, it's really important for Matthew Stafford to be Matthew Stafford. And I think that when you look at how many quarterbacks have had to go through that where a coach comes in or an owner or a GM says, we're bringing a coach in to make you less like yourself. I think that that's where someone like John Harbaugh and Greg Roman should be celebrated because they're not doing that. And I think that um, I know that you obviously feel the same way. We're not we're not arguing this, but I just want to emphasize how cool what the Ravens are doing is. Yeah, I I, I absolutely agree, and I just think that uh, it, it takes such a humility to transform your franchise and and to be willing yeah. to make a bold choice like that and do something different. And especially when you consider the fact that John Harbaugh has been there for so long and we have such an established understanding of what the Ravens are, that's the coolest part of it to me is that the Ravens are a known quantity. Like we, we know this franchise and obviously Ozzie Newsom is not there anymore, whatever else, but they are not the first team I'd throw out to reinvent themselves on a fly on the fly like this. And I think that's the coolest part of it is that they had no reason to. It, it's not a new coaching staff. It's not a new front office. It's not it, none of that. They did it because they knew it was their best chance. And that's the best part. Are we going to get a chance to bring up the Niners slop fest against the Redskins? I don't think so. It, it's not in the doc here. Do you want to? No, I just want to talk about I, I You know what? I'm just going to wait for stock down and give it to everybody involved in that game. That's totally fine. All right. One more stock up here and we can do this briefly. I, I, I tweeted a bunch about it. You and I have talked a bunch about it. The Indi- what the Indianapolis Colts did today and what they've done all season is just absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, um, they are four and two. They have as many wins. They've played one less game than the Houston Texans, but these Texans are four and three. Um, they are a legitimate contender in this division. Uh, I am, I still think that there's a, if you were to handicap right now, even after Sunday, would you give it to Houston just because of, we both believe that Deshaun Watson is the most important person in the world. Yes. Yeah. Like I just, I, I, I'm ready despite Bill O'Brien, despite some of the, the real problems in Houston, like I will follow Deshaun Watson to the edge of the earth and I will follow him into an AFC, uh, South prediction. Having said that, I mean, this is, I think this is a definite playoff team. Um, they are just a, a, everything has been thrown at them. Um, not just luck, but, you know, Darius Leonard injury has been thrown at them. They just keep rolling. It is unbelievable, man. I don't even know. At some point, you just run into things to say with Indianapolis Colts. Um, but I, I think that it, it is one of the most remarkable um, franchise. Just bit, the way Chris Ballard has built that franchise. 
in a short amount of time to be sustainable and tough and a well-oiled machine. It's one of the team building jobs of the decade and like what the quarter century, whatever, 50 years. I don't know. Like it's one of the best things that's ever been done in the NFL. When you consider just how quickly he got that program up and running and how much he's persevered. He hasn't won a Super Bowl. He hasn't even gotten close yet, but just from going from zero to a hundred, I've been hugely impressed. I think it's a similar conversation to the one we had about the saints in the sense that they've been able to be different things. You know, when they beat the chiefs, it was all Marlon Mack. You know, it was Marlon Mack, 25 carries, 125 yards, all the running game. And today, Jacoby Brissett threw for 325 yards and four touchdowns. And they don't need him to do that every week. But the fact that they can kind of vacillate between these different versions of who they are, I think that speaks to coaching. I think it speaks to roster talent. And I think it speaks to an overall plan in the same way that it does with New Orleans. I feel like they are impressive in the exact same way. And today was the best example of that for Andy. So have you looked at the schedule? I have not. Let me tell you what it is. First Denver, versus Denver, Flacco Bowl, Pittsburgh, Miami, Jacksonville. Real chance at seven or eight wins. And it, but it, in, in the next, getting to seven and two, eight and two in those next four games. That's, that's, uh, there's some real moves to be made there. All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break. With two-thirds of guys experiencing noticeable hair loss by age 35, most guys assume losing their hair is inevitable as they age. Some don't care. Some shave their head. Some embrace hats. But what they don't know is there is an FDA-approved medication designed to stop hair loss and even regrow hair. That's why we're excited to partner with our sponsor, Roman. Roman makes it easier to get safe, FDA-approved hair loss treatment all from your phone or computer. And when you go to GetRoman.com slash RingerNFL, your online visit is free. Consult with a U.S. licensed physician through their secure online platform. No awkward conversations with receptionists or reading bad magazines in the waiting rooms. Once your doctor ensures the treatment will be safe and effective for you, Roman's dedicated pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping and discreet packaging. If you're noticing unwanted hair loss, starting treatment early is key, and Roman can help. And today, Roman is giving Ringer NFL show listeners a free online visit at GetRoman.com slash RingerNFL. That's GetRoman.com slash RingerNFL for a free visit to get started. Go to GetRoman.com slash RingerNFL. Do you want to be able to watch every single NFL game this season, no matter where you live or what team you root for? This season, there's a proven way to watch every football game live for a fraction of the cost. ExpressVPN. Use ExpressVPN to buy the International Game Pass. ExpressVPN lets you spoof your location so that you can buy the International Game Pass for just $125 and stream all the games. ExpressVPN comes with apps for computers, mobile, and digital media players like Fire TV. Plus, use ExpressVPN every time you go online to keep all your network data encrypted, secure, and safe from hackers. ExpressVPN is the fastest VPN, costs less than $7 per month, and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Enjoy all 256 games of the 2019 NFL season with the world's most trusted VPN, ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash NFL. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash NFL for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash NFL to learn more. 
All right, let's get to stock down. Where do you want to start? Uh, I just want to briefly hit on uh, everybody involved in that Niners <laughs> Niners Redskins game. Bill Callahan established the run a little too hard. Uh, I will say, mercifully, so it was nine nothing was the final. Congratulations to the Niners for for their undefeated season. But um, I will say, I believe Scott Hansen said it was the quickest game of the decade. Did you hear that? That's amazing. It, it lasted I mean, I mean, all, because all those they couldn't, running, all those they runs. Couldn't pass right. They couldn't pass, and so um, they they just ran the both teams just ran the ball a ton. And I believe thirty three combined two, pass attempts in that game. Two hours and uh, and thirty minutes it took about. So it was one of the shortest games in in a very very long time. So I guess they got it over with. Everyone can go watch the Nationals in the World Series or whatever. Um, we'll get ready for it. And yeah, that was that was that. So I'm not. We didn't talk enough about the Niners in the opening segment, probably because I think there's an editorial decision on our part to not count Dolphins, uh, Redskins, and Bengals wins as such. Yeah, we'll we'll get to the Niners. Like when when they give us reason and they beat somebody that we feel good about, and it's wait. Well, let's play on let's Monday back night. up here. We've done a ton of celebration of the Niners this year. We love the Niners. This is a pro Niners podcast. But on this particular Sunday, I didn't glean a lot from the San Francisco 49ers. I think that's fair. All right, what's our next one? Cincinnati Bengals. Yikes, dude! I, I, I'm not sure what else there is to say. I mean, it, yikes. I remember in the summer when I said on this show that their season was over and you thought it was way too harsh. Well, no. And then AJ Green got hurt and I got I got on board. They play the Rams, the Ravens and the Raiders next. Hey, so no, here's what I want to talk about. Um, Yannick Ngakwe. This is from uh, Ben Baby, a reporter in Cincinnati. Yannick Ngakwe on the pick six. Quote, I noticed when Gio Bernard was in the game, they were looking to pass. And when it was Joe Mixon, they were looking to run. So I thought it was going to be a screen. I got to tell you, I'm not sure about the Bengals' tendencies here. I think they're showing some things, Robert. Do you... What are, what are your thoughts about like the Zach Taylor era? Do you, are you withholding uh, judgment at this point because of how... Like, I, I think they're a mess. I think they're a mess. I think that they're... You know, a, the AJ Green thing is, is weird to start the season. Well, that's what I mean. I, I yeah. just think they're so hurt, and they they have such little. You know, I talent. still I still think they have talent there. Um, really? They have. I mean, no. I mean, they have Geno Atkins. They have guys like that. I mean, they're not they're not the Dolphins. I'm not. But I'm not. I'm not throwing out the Zach Taylor era just yet. Are you? I, I'm not either. No, because I I just think it's really hard to judge what they are because they. They're so so, just devoid of talent. On the I think that I gotta tell you, dude, I, they should be better than this. I'm not. I'm yeah, not right. They I shouldn't be. Fair. They shouldn't be zero and seven. They shouldn't be threatening. They're gonna play the Dolphins in December. You know. They, uh, listen, Zach Taylor's gonna. I think Zach think, Taylor's a smart. Do you guy. think the Dolphins what? are a better team right now than the Bengals? I think it's close. I think it's close too. We we we, a, we pumped up that Washington Miami game as like the like the tank bowl. I I think Cincinnati Miami is actually a better a better version of it. I think the Redskins are trying to win some games, dude. Yes, I I mean I just think that with Cincinnati, we've talked about this a lot. I feel like this is the reset button off season. They, I mean they can move on from Dalton. You know we'll see what happens with AJ Green. They're going to get a top five pick. I do think that this is where the page turns. I really do. Yeah, let's not do another where's Andy Dalton end up. 
I, um, I, I have no interest in that. All right. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky. Tariq Cohen. Tariq Cohen, nine receptions for 19 yards. I, I don't know what else there is to say. It, okay. I mean, it's... Do, I we do, make, I, do we make a move? I don't think this season. I mean, what, what are you going to do? No, I meant just like just not have him be the quarterback anymore. No, I think you. I, I think you write it out. Uh, I, I don't think there's. I mean, why? Like, what's the benefit of going to Daniel? Um, I don't know. That's why I was asking you. I was just curious. No, uh, I, I, I think I think you write it out, and I think at the end of the season you figure out what your options are. I, I coming into this year, my stance on this team was. If the quarterback isn't better, it's a lost season because the defense is not going to be as good. Mm-hmm. And if the defense isn't as good, the offense needs to pick up that slack. And if they don't, then this is a eight, nine win team. And I think that's where we are. It, hey, it, dude. They just. Dude, it, what's it, up he, with Matt Nagy? Yeah, I don't. I, I'm going to step back and kind of really kind of evaluate this stuff over the next week or so here because <laughs> I sound like a GM. Well, I just, I mean, it's one of those things where I still believe in him. And I think that with the right players, with the right talent, that he can be a really good offensive play caller. But it's been really discouraging. Their complete lack of a running game is startling. I mean, they have not been able to do anything with that. And I think that a lot of that stuff can be created schematically. So I don't know. I, I I had so many thoughts about this team, and I thought I knew what they were coming into the season. And I've really that's been challenged. And I, you know, I, I when I threw out like the Andy Dalton thing or whatever their who have, their quarterback could be next season, that was like maybe a month ago. And I had a an understand. I thought I had an understanding of this team, and I was like, oh, this is what they are minus the quarterback. And now I don't know what they are minus the quarterback. I feel like every other aspect of this team is not as good as I thought it was going to be coming into the year. That's where I sit right now. Well, you want, I think you, you want to move on desperately, don't you? Well, we can. It's- <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the Chargers. Let's talk about a more inept team. The Chargers, who last week they have about 700 fans in their their home stadium. They get in a situation where somehow they get in a a feud with their in-stadium DJ. And (laughs) everyone spends the entire week talking more than they should move back to their home city. Or like St. Louis for some reason. I'm not sure where that came from. And they follow that up by going to Tennessee and being more embarrassing. They lose to Ryan Tannehill. And most importantly, they lose on a goal line fumble at the end of the game. Robert, what are we going to do about the Los Angeles Chargers? My concern with them is Rivers is in his late 30s. The, there's always been the question of what he was going to do moving forward. That it, what, was he going to retire? How long did he want to stay there? This team coming into the year, I think, you know, if I had thought about them in April, I thought they were a legitimate contender and they've been so hurt and so many things have gone wrong that they're not anymore. And now I feel like that's changed so quickly that it's kind of hard to comprehend what the future looks like because they don't have a long-term plan. So I have no idea what the next three years of the Los Angeles chargers look like. 
And, and that is a scary proposition. A lot of empty seats, I can tell you that much. I mean, that's 100% true. I mean, even beyond the, 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 the stands, the stadium, all of that stuff, just in terms of a roster construction overall team building plan, I feel like they are entering a no man's land that is not conducive to have anything good. Players. good. It's so strange because they have good players. I mean, producer Craig said this. They've basically got good quarterbacks, running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers, and they suck on offense. That's not good. I'm, I, I am the quarterback thing is what I'm most curious about. Okay, I, I, I am. I'm wondering what how long he's going to be there. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's. Uh, I don't. It's it's very very strange, and I wonder if the Los Angeles thing. He's still doing the van commute, right? It's miserable. It's if they don't have a chance. It wouldn't surprise me if he just yeah. If he's just after if, the if season, he can't was like, win the done. Super Bowl. He isn't he going to be like, I'm not going in this van anymore. He and I had a long conversation last year before the playoffs, and in his mind, it was all about are are we good enough to get on the dance floor? As long as we're in the tournament and we have a shot, I think that random things happen. That's what he told me. But if they're not even that level of team, I'm really curious about how long he's willing to stick with this. Uh, I'm with you. I bet, you know, listen, Chargers have a 20 year lease, baby. All right, let's get to challenge flags. Uh, the NFL referees. <laughs> what about them so, this week? The Chargers and the Titans game was just ridiculous. And I think that something that's happened, I remember Mike Prayer saying this to me years ago and it rears its head every week, which is that the replay has now kind of, taken over the minds of of NFL officials and so what yeah. ends up happening is that they're hesitant you can almost see I remember his exact phrasing it was basically like you can kind of see the wheels turning in the head of the referee it's not just will this hold up in review it's what will the league office think it's what are the 11 exceptions to this rule like there's so much a ref has to think about so I'm not necessarily blaming the refs right but what I will say is that there's so much hesitation on the field. Nobody wants to make a call. Like at the end of that Titans Chargers game, it was like everybody was afraid to say anything and they would just huddle up and it would take a minute and a half. They'd review everything. I was, it, it, they would throw flags. I, it was just, I, I, I hate part of the NFL experience right now. I just absolutely hate it. And I made fun of the fact. So the NFL introduces this pass interference thing. Because of one call. And I, I, I do think, and I was there in Arizona when they passed the rule, and, and Sean Payton said, I don't want any, anybody to have to go through this again. That, that, that Ram Sands game, we're not going to have anybody go through this again. And I, I'm glad they have the rule in because of an egregious case like this. But if you're going to have pass interference be a reviewable thing, you can't just blanket say, we're not going to change any call, which is clearly what they've done. That it's clearly what they've done. I don't know. I don't know what the point of this whole thing was and also why coaches like Pat Shermer still challenge it. it. When we were talking about this before the season, I was okay with the rule. I was curious and skeptical about how they would implement the rule. And I think that's been the problem is that the bar, the barrier to overturning these calls is so high and it's created so much more scrutiny, not only on pass interference calls, but I just think on officiating in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe this is anecdotal, but don't you feel like you've seen 
significantly more just slow-mo replays of penalties this year than you have in years past? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mean just like we're just looking at something and yeah. we're trying to figure out if it's a thing? Yes. Yeah, I, absolutely. And, you know, when I did that story last year about Blandino and Pereira, Joe Buck was talking about how, you know, he used to sit in the booth with his dad when his dad called Monday Night Football, I think, um, in the radio. And he said that, he said that, you know, I, he didn't remember at any point over his, his dad's entire tenure anyone ever mentioning the referees ever. And it would just be like, and I'm not saying they were, I'm, they were probably, you know, the same level of skill that they are now. Um, it's yeah, the just refs that, aren't worse now. It's, it's like, let's, just let's be that, clear about that. It's just, there's a couple of things. Number one, replay leads to long breaks and a lot of scrutiny scrutiny. Um, yes. beyond that, everyone has HGTVs. You can sort of see the slow-mo there. They didn't have those capabilities 30, 40 years ago. And then beyond that, there's just the rule book is bigger by definition. They haven't shrunk the rule book. There's exceptions to every single rule. I mean, Blandino kind of goes on a rant about this in my story um, about, you know, there was some like Jeremy Shockey spike once that then advanced the ball during a delay of game or something. And they like put in some crazy rule just to, to so that doesn't happen again, even though it would never happen again. And so all of a sudden referees are just spending, you know, three days learning this when it doesn't actually mean anything. And those are the types of things the NFL has to fight against. And so, I don't know, man. I mean, it's it's an uphill battle. I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm sort of of the theory that part of it is that the NFL is just, you know, as it gets faster, is becoming an unreffable game from from the vantage point that I think at. that's fair. I think that maybe, you know, I think I might do a take shot this week. We need, we need some, I'm not saying robot refs, but different vantage point refs that are maybe not on the field. Create a, a something creative. I, I think that yeah. we need to kind of. I, I feel like somebody needs to kind of, you know, huddle up and see, you know, if even if there's not a definitive answer, let's try to throw something against the wall and see what sticks. That's yep. where I'm at. Agree. What's your challenge flag? We've we've done this one a couple times already this season, but I I feel like I'm I have to come back to it. What is going on with the Atlanta Falcons? <laughs> Yeah, like, I, saw, I saw. I what saw. I saw another. Happening? The cap guys. The cap guys keep tweeting about how much money the Falcons have tied up. I it, it's. I tweeted this like maybe like a week or two ago. There is no team in the NFL whose plan and results are more incongruous than the than Atlanta, because the teams that are bad, at least they you know, haven't spent that much or they, they understand what they are to a certain degree. I mean, there are exceptions. I mean, you know, Washington is pretty much up against the cap, which is hilarious, but Atlanta went <laughs> all in this off season and they're an absolute mess. I, I just don't know what else there is to say about them. I mean, it, it just feels like, I don't know, like what happens now? Like, what are they next season? No, it's not good. It, it, it watching them play, it, I just I don't even know how to process it. It, it. The defense is so out of sorts, and for Quinn to be in charge of that, and and again for that not that many guys to be hurt, everything else, it just they are the hardest team for me to comprehend when it comes to what we expected before the year and what they actually look like. It, it, it's the cognitive dissonance is strong. That's what I would say. They're one of the most disappointing teams in a long time when you consider how much talent yes. we thought they had. Yes. And we also, the other thing is, 
we thought, and even though Matt Ryan, by the way, Matt Ryan was in a walking boot, but they don't they don't consider his injury serious. The, even though Matt Ryan has been good this year, we thought there was a baseline that okay, they'd score X amount of points, they'd be fine in offense, the defense is just to be fine. First of all, the Falcons' defense is just just got awful, and so it, even it's, if even if it's Matt, remarkable, even if Matt Ryan were putting up. You know, even if he had Kyle Shanahan back and all this stuff, this is just this is not going to work. Okay? It wouldn't matter. Um, I believe they're thirty first in points against. Yes, they are, and they're in the middle of the pack as far as points for. Okay, and so what you have here is an offense. I would say that being middle of the road for offense, I think, is probably underachieving for that offense. And so, considering how much they spend on that offense, absolutely, and, and, and also just Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, you know, that's it. That's that's the tweet, right? Like, those are some good players, and so I think that you're looking at an underachieving offense and then a way underachieving defense, and that's how you get this. All right, what's uh, what's your headline for tomorrow? By the way, how did the Falcons beat the Eagles? Uh, it's a great question. I, I I know absolutely nothing about the NFL, apparently. That's true. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of Rogers hype, and it's going to be more referee furor. Those uh, those both sound right to me. I I think the Rogers thing is is real, and I think him coming out and playing like that today, and again, them kind of weathering the storm when the offense was figuring it out, uh, those two things kind of coming together at the same time, uh, it bodes well for them. It absolutely does. Yeah, I mean, I just think that there's, uh, you know, I think that we're going to talk because. Whenever the presumptive MVP favorite, in this case, Russell Wilson, and also you have Patrick Mahomes, whenever those guys have yeah. stumbles, that reopens up the MVP talk. So I think there'll be a lot of, lot of breath spent on, on Rodgers and, and Jackson as, as MVP candidates. All right. Thank you for listening. We will be back on Thursday with the midweek show. Thank you for joining us on the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network.